I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program reality. Welcome everyone to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Johnny Android, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in the metaverse. We record our episodes live at Allspace every week, and you can join us from your PC or VR headset. Just log into Allspace, join our Simulation Nation channel, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today, we have another episode of Futurosities, Flicks, and Picks, where we enter the digital frontier with Tron Legacy. This sequel to the 1982 cult classic Tron follows Flynn's adult son, Sam, responds to a message from his long-lost father, and is transported into a virtual reality called The Grid, where Sam, his father, and the algorithm Quora must stop the malevolent program Clue from invading the real world. Here, as the purveyor of all things futury, futurosity, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, thank you for coming out tonight. This is going to be a fun episode. I always love anything related to virtuality, technology, and the movies and more. All these things inspired what we see today. So look forward to digging in. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to this one, too. Uh, we did Tron like a long time ago, like a year ago. We've got the episode up on YouTube now. So we covered that one. That one is so preposterous and ridiculous, it, but it looked so incredibly gorgeous. So we'll see if today is different or the same. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but be before we get started, we should say, uh, where are you in the real world, Futurosity? Uh, you're on a little excursion. Oh, well, I am in sunny Florida, Orlando area. It's time to visit Disney World. Nice. I had to. Yeah, I just so had to. It's so lovely. Is, yeah, this, of course, is a Disney movie. Uh, and so they worked for, I don't know, five years uh, getting this one out there. Uh, I think it got released in 2010 or something like that. So we're going to be fully Disney-fied now. You were talking about how Epcot Center uh, is not as futuristic as you remember. Uh, we'll see if Tron is. Oh, definitely. It's kind of funny how Disney, you know, it's an evergreen. It's always fresh and fun. But at the same time, those rides, I mean, they're, you know, 40, 50 years old in some cases. and They just keep revamping it. But hey, the future is still now. I look, look forward to digging in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, one other thing we should say before we get started, the state of the nation, we are really happy to announce we have 50,000 views on one of our YouTube videos, uh, our Terminator 2, one of our very first episode of Futurosity's Flicks and Picks, actually. So uh, we're happy that we're getting it out there and people are enjoying the content and hopefully we'll continue to grow. So, uh, you know, if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, Simulation Nation, actually, it's, I think it's The Simulation Nation. If you type in The Simulation Nation Terminator 2, you can see that episode. Uh, but we're going to have to get this one higher. <laughs> exactly. Exciting uh, well, nice news. See, Thank you. Nice seeing everyone. Sky Bison, facetious. Nice seeing you. Kurt, oh, the pleasure. And, and uh, Raison Ray, let's get right into it. Uh, so, Tron Legacy, I guess, you know, usually we start with overall thoughts. So, uh, do you want to you kick it off with uh, your the big picture scope of what this movie was for you? Oh, sure. Well, remember, this movie is about 12 years old now. And overall, it's a nice reimagining. You know, we're seeing a lot of movies that in a similar vein right now that are essentially reboot slash remakes of classic movies. Um, and this is definitely a nostalgia fest. I mean, the original Tron in 1982, I remember that Disney VHS, the little white box, you know, those classic VHS tapes they used to have. And I definitely rewatched that Tron video multiple times. So seeing it revisited with, you know, more modern visual effects and technology, it's a fun treat. And of course, you know, amazing soundtrack by Daft Punk. So all in all, I really look forward to digging into this because it's a pleasurable experience to kind of go back to the past and say, hey, you know what? I want a third one. You know, we keep waiting. All these kind of movies. I really want to dig in deeper. So I'm looking forward to this chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, my my overall thoughts are that um, I think it's it's sort of similar to the original in some ways where I was just like totally blown away by the visuals of the original. I mean, back then, digital graphics, those vector graphics they were doing were so ahead of their time. We'd never seen anything like it. Um, but when you really dug into the story and the mechanics of the story and the mythology, it's like, what? This is like absurd. And so I have to say that I think that the greatest um, the greatest sin that this movie uh, committed was that it used the mythology basically of the original and tried to do a sequel to it. I really feel like they would have been better served 
maybe doing a reboot, taking the general idea of Tron, but updating it a little bit more to the virtual reality that we sort of have now, and or even what we were thinking about in 2010. Um, and so I think like the visuals in this movie are so mind-blowingly awesome in my mind. Uh, but when you start to think about the mythology and some of the logic of what's happening, it kind of falls apart for me in some in some instances. So, you know, I think that's my overall thoughts. It's it's a mixed bag for me. Visually, I mean, A++. This, this, this thing looks incredible. Uh, Story-wise, it's a little shaky for me. Um, and if, if anyone else had any thoughts or, or anything about the movie, please use the raise hand option and we'll definitely uh, want to get your opinion in here as well. Um, so let's dive into the uh, let's dive into the plot then. So um, did you want to sort of give a little uh, your little uh, brief synopsis? Sure. Well, we start off with Sam Flynn. Now, this is about. Well, it's 1982 is the original version, and this one would have been contemporary, so it would have been around 2010. And Sam Flynn is the son of Kevin Flynn, who was, you know, the main hero of the original movie, played by, you know, of course, our very favorite, the dude. Now, we actually see a young, rich kid create the biggest prank of all time. Essentially, we start off with NCOM, which is the evil corporation from the first movie, but now it's even more evil and bigger than ever with their newest software releases coming out. Well, Sam, you know, being a character of sorts, he decides to do his annual prank. He's kind of checked out after the mysterious disappearance of his father over 20 years ago. So essentially, he gets arrested doing a prank in which he actually base jumps off the main building, releases a free version of their paid new operating system. And well, his father's friend, Alan, bails him out of jail and says, hey. He's got a text. Oh, I'm sorry, a page. Oh, my goodness. We have to go right, back because right. this is an old pager that his father's best friend had with him. And he got a text saying, hey, go to my old office, which was in the original arcade, Flynn's arcade from the first movie. So, of course, they investigate and Sam finds himself transported into the grid. Now, a lot of people get confused. They always say, oh, the movie is Tron and the place is called Tron, but Tron is actually a character. And um, we'll get more into that in detail later. Essentially, it's a fish out of water story. We see Sam and he learns what it's like to be a user of computers within a world that's all digital, that's full of programs. So uh, that's kind of the setup. You know, we jump right in and we realize, hey, this is a deeper conspiracy and there's more things afoot over time. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to spoil the hell out of this thing, everybody. So if you haven't seen it yet, please go. But we always say that if you haven't seen it in 10 years, that's like the, the statute of limitations. <laughs> we can spoil anything we want. Um, but yeah, so it's, you know, the, the plot is, you know, I, I, I think that the setup, the first third, I was like so on board. Like I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. We're entering this very cool world. He jumped. We dive right into it and we're into this crazy uh, uh, disc game where they're able to, you know, through these um, interesting little uh, you know, digital courts and things like that. And it was really, really cool. And then, you know, as about the first half hour or so goes by, I was like, okay, looks gorgeous. And it's got this great setup. I'm going to need some explanations soon. And the next, the explanations are going to either take it up a notch or it's going to take it down a notch. And so we finally end up meeting um, his father, Flynn. Uh, and we discover the sort of backstory of what's happened. And the backstory is essentially that he went in there with uh, Tron, which is his um, security system, I guess. And then he created a digital replica of himself called Clue. Of course, Clue didn't have, I guess, the emotions of a human. He was just sort of this robot who wanted to create the perfect um, design for a, the perfect uh, system. He's sort of robotics. So he's like, I got to have the perfect system. So he wipes out... Um, our hero Flynn and Flynn has to go off into the wilderness of the simulation and kind of hide away. And there's, a, 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 he also, I guess there's a species that was created, right? Um, they yes, it's so spontaneously. Spontaneously, isomorphic algorithms. And in, in perfect Jeff Bridges, he's like, it's like bio digital jazz, man. It's like, so you gotta <laughs> love that the dude is in the matrix. You get like, that's just, that's good in itself. Um, so the challenge of the movie, of course, is to get back to the real world before Clue, who has taken over this entire simulation, has plans to um, make his whole army uh, escape into the real world and take over the real world and make the real world a perfect system as well. And so that's sort of like the, the plan as we go through. That's the plot as we head into the, the Matrix-style simulation. 
Um, I don't know. How did you feel about that? Were you did you con were you contented by it? Did you have some questions? Well, the thing is, the setup is really well done. You know, you get to int they introduce the main character, Sam, who's a son, and you know, they just show he has a devil may care attitude. You know, he's a billionaire technically since he's the largest shareholder of the company, but he's irresponsible, drops out of school, plays pranks. So I set up the character nicely, but then when we get into the grid, that's when things kind of crumbled apart a little bit because we get into backstory mode. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I like linear storytelling in a lot of cases because, hey, simpler is better. Just like, hey, just get to the point. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing all the stuff that they discuss because every time a character talks about a mistake they made, instead of seeing the mistake, they tell us the mistake. And so it kind of loses some of its teeth. You know, we understand that, you know, Jeff Bridges character, you know, Flynn you know, he created a clone of himself, but it's a clone of himself in his like, you know, late 20s. And now, you know, since time has passed with him over 30 years, he's a 50 year old man reflecting on the idealized version of himself in youth. And he realizes how wrong he was. But in many ways, I wish I had a chance to see a little bit more of it instead of them telling us every time. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, same thing with the isomorphic entities. You know, they spontaneously appeared. Well, I would want to have a little more detail about that. I wouldn't mind seeing the linear story of Clue planning her destruction, you know, like Clue gets evil. You know, we have all these character turns that only happen in dialogue. We don't get to see it many times. So that's a little disappointing in many ways. Yeah. And so for me, there's I think that there's like one really big leap of uh, leap of faith or leap of logic that you have to accept to get into this movie. And there's sort of one in the beginning, the middle, and the end. So the, in the beginning, uh, the idea is that this guy created a video game and he's created a software uh, system. But then he has this technology, this most incredible technology known to man, which is it can zap organic life in a perfect replica into the simulation. And Th that has just been hiding in the back of an arcade for 30, 40 years. It's like, what? Like, that still is the most incredible part of the technology. And uh, you might say, well, you're being a little <laughs> difficult. This is a Disney movie. But the thing is that the way it's designed and the way that they're trying to create gravity with the characters, they're going for a realism. They're, this is not Jumanji. Right? This is not just like, oh, a magical thing happens and they zap into a... And now they, you know, they can tell jokes and Chris Rock, you know, not, uh, drain the Rock Johnson can do his <laughs> thing and all that kind of stuff. This is different because they're trying to be real. They're trying to be Matrix-esque. So I'm a little bit more picky on the, the logic of it. So that was, it's a little bit like, okay, but that's the technology that, you know, there's not much explaining going on. In the, in the middle bit, it always bothered me, especially it, also in the original where, it, you know, okay, so they've created this virtual reality. And I guess these are all NPCs, non-player characters roaming around, right? But like they all seem yes. to have emotions and connections and passions and fears and doubts. And like, they all seem to, um, they all seem to just, uh, they, and another thing is why are they eating in there? They're eating. And where did they get these? Eggs that they're <laughs> eating? Why are they drinking? We have like, to talk what, about that. <laughs> like what is up with like all the logic? Like, feels like the writers went to a certain level. And they're just like, ah, let's just put some like sci-fi rigmarole to explain it. And we don't even need to think about it. It's like, no, if you're going to do a great sci-fi movie, you got to think about all these details. You know, that's what makes James Cranford so great talking about Terminator 2. He thinks of all these little details. Uh, it's, it's, you know, Storm Sharif, they agree. Um, and so I feel like all those little details were, were sort of lacking in this. You know, and it, it kind of bothered me after a while. And it's like, if Clue is this perfect, um, algorithm who's creating the perfect system and did he do a bad job it's like there's like ASOs that are running around there's like you know Flynn is hiding off in his little you know Buddhist retreat in the middle of the simulation <laughs> humans are popping in and like he doesn't know how to control them it's like wow he, you know you, you'd think he'd be a little more on top of it and then the one I, I thing, definitely see the, that <laughs> yeah the one thing at the end which really kind of bothered me was like Okay, so the plan is, you could tell the writers came up against the wall where they're like, well, we need stakes. Like, who cares about these, these non-player characters? We need stakes for the real world. We're going to make it that Clue is going to escape with his army into the real world. Like, how is he going to just sort of, you know, I don't know, like all these people are just going to come out of nowhere. They're just going to be these organic beings. Where is he getting all this organic matter for these giant to take over the real world and the real body form. I don't know. I know I'd be a little picky, but it's like these things like that kind of got to me. I know there's someone else out there who feels the same. Maybe it's Loki, Sarang, 95, or Kurt, but um, I don't know. What did you, what did you think? Do you trust me? <laughs> 
imps issue dumps instead of showing once again all these deep details about the world they just kind of throw out hey you know it's it's jazz it's you know it's this it's molecules it's you know they don't really give us something tangible and i like sci-fi that gives us something to bite onto instead of just throwing a bunch of concepts at us it's, it's philosophy it's religion it's medicine like there are a lot of moments like literally where people will list the significance of something instead of actually just getting more detail and showing us what it is it's yeah okay it's jazz it's biomechanical jazz why not show it you know i want to see like right. these things replicate and iso isos actually appear spontaneous like i want to see that instead of hey we just blew them up and there's only one or two left um that's not enough for me i really wish that we got to see so much more about that world because it was beautiful i mean it was well designed i mean the production design was absolutely amazing but oh, yeah this shouldn't be all visuals. They didn't spend enough time on the story for me. And why are they, why are they, they've created this incredible sort of dystopia down there, but why are they playing games? Why are they killing each other? Like, why can't they go and find Flynn? Why is Flynn aging? Like, why would he age? Why would his, if he doesn't have organic body anymore, <laughs> why is he aging in the simulation? I don't know. Like, uh, you know, there's so many things like that. It's just like, what? Like, there, there's, there's all these loose ends that kind of the mythology doesn't quite connect. So let me give you a pitch for like, if you were going to reboot this whole thing, is anyone here a fan of Sword Art Online? Yeah, okay. So it's so Toki, you know what I'm talking about. So it's a, it, it was a, a manga uh, and it's about this evil sort of virtual reality overlord who creates this virtual world. All these um, massive online multiplayer uh, people go into it and then he traps them in there. And the only way that they can get back to their physical bodies is to beat the game. And I'm like, well, that is cool because it makes sense. Like it makes sense that there's a virtual world that they have to you know, um, tra travel through and, and have uh, overcome these obstacles to get back to the real world. But if they had done something like that, where it felt like this virtual world that Tron exists in, uh, the grid exists in, had some kind of a more of a believable connection to the outside world. And then what if like Clue had trapped all the players, what they call users, in this virtual world and they needed to almost do like the Olympics with all of these different events in order to uh, beat the game and allow uh, to have their freedom. Like something like that would be a really great update to this. They would kind of have to scrap the old mythology and they would kind of have to start over with something new. Maybe Feech just agrees. Um, if anyone else has any thoughts on how you would do this, if you were to pitch it to a studio or something like that, uh, use the raise hand option. It will definitely uh, get your opinion. No, what do you think of that, Futurosity? Am I off base there? Oh, I totally agree, because the one thing I forgot about is that Tron itself was a game. You know, they created a game. There was brought up the mythology of the game as well, but then suddenly realized, hey, um, they didn't explain it within the world itself. And so, yeah, let's get more into the characters. All right. So um, first one we have here, of course, is Sam, who is Flynn's son, who is our main character. You talked about how we get introduced to him. He's kind of this like smart ass kid who is sort of. Uh, is entitled. It doesn't take his um, father's legacy very seriously. He he wants to throw it all away and make it open source. Which, if you remember the first movie, actually, the father was trying to open source uh, Grit. So it all kind of interconnects, I believe, to the first movie. Um, and then once he gets into action mode, there's really not much else besides action mode, except I guess is connecting and bonding with his father. Did you feel any real uh, emotional connection with Sam or, or, or not? Well, the hard thing with Sam's performance, you know, I mean, whenever you have like the smart Alec character that slowly learns how to be responsible, a lot of times you kind of feel like, well, there's so much of a jerk. You don't connect with them at first. But the one moment that they had together, you know, right before that bizarre dinner scene where, you know, you saw him actually shed a tear when he sees his father son older, you know, just 20 years suddenly flash by right in front of him. That that was a nice little heartwarming moment. That's when I felt like, OK, the Sam character is a real character but of course they went back into action tropes so the minute you get a little taste of a character well they go back to action tropes and you know, they're fighting you know having little adventures but that was the sad part where a lot of times i want them to expand upon those emotional connections and unfortunately they didn't really deliver as much as i hoped yeah yeah i feel like the the father-son relationship was really by the numbers it was kind of like 
you know, filling in between the lines and it didn't really have much inspiration behind it. I feel like, you know, I feel like the inspiration so much in how the games worked, how the visuals worked, how the architecture looked of this world, all of that, that was so inspired and so uh, well thought through. The character stuff, I feel like, was not as inspired. It was just kind of like, okay, we got to have a father-son story so the critics don't hate us, but we don't really care about that stuff and we're not going to think too deeply about it. We'll just plunk it in there. That's kind of what it felt like. It felt like we were going through the motions a little bit. Yeah, an afterthought of sorts. You know, the visuals came first, previs, all the designs came first. The script, you could tell that it might have been the last thing taken care of, unfortunately. Absolutely. So for me, the the the, the most interesting character is still Finn, right? Who's from the first movie. Of course, Jeff Bridges is awesome. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's kind of neat that he's you know, he's he's the one who kind of thought of this all. He's sort of like the way they describe him is kind of like Bill Gates meets Steve Jobs with John Lennon kind of thrown in. He's in his like, <laughs> yes. boat. He's like he's lying in his meditation chamber and there's all these like, I don't know, electrons floating upwards and all that stuff's really neat. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a, he's kind of become a Zen monk because he's been trapped in there for like 30 years or something like that. Um, and so he was kind of a cool character, but it didn't make any sense to me that as soon as he sees his son, he wasn't really that happy to see him that much. And then on the top of that, the, the son is like, oh, by the way, we could escape. We can go home. And he's like, no, I wouldn't want to do that. It's too easy. They'll just catch us. <laughs> I'm going to like, what? So he didn't have any emotional resonance. Like the way that the character was responding didn't feel emotionally believable to me it felt like oh he's just we're just hitting plot point to plot point to plot point we're not having organic uh emotional moments see i wonder at times if it was because they're trying to make him so zen that they made him overly detached when it came to you know jeff bridge's character flynn um that's what i was thinking he's just like hey um the power of doing nothing you know in many ways his whole technique of trying to win was avoidance and unfortunately, I think by having a son there, at least it forced him into action of sorts, you know, because it seemed like 20 years he was in hiding. I mean, it seems like he was with Cora for the last, you know, maybe 15 years or so. So, right. yeah, it seemed like, yeah, it's just the isolation and the meditation where he thought he was reaching some new level of consciousness of sorts. You know, another little pet peeve I have is like, OK, so he's a programmer who created the virtual world. How does he create in that world? is he programming in there? Cause we never see him like programming. So it would be cool to see him like the master programmer who's all this time been trying to figure out how to overcome clue. Instead, he's just been like, well, I'm trapped here and I'm just going to be in my Zen like state. And that's that. But like, how did he create all of the things, right? Like how did the ISOs to be? I don't know. I, I just kept thinking about that. Like, I, I wish we knew a little bit more about the mechanics of how he's doing what he's doing. Well, I think they only showed him typing and actually hacking maybe once because he walks up to one of the sentries um, before he stole one of the planes and he kind of tapped on the little grid on the back of his um that you know his fris frisbee disc or whatever and he typed in something and the guy kind of says oh please sir enter the vehicle um, but yeah they, and maybe they showed him one time trying to hack an elevator but it was like movie hacking you know you just kind of tap your fingers and then magically things work. Um, it wasn't like, Hey, let me create something and build something. We never got to that point. I, I wanted to see programming, you know, it's like, Hey, let's show him make something, you know, like fabricating yeah. instead of simply commenting on something that was previously made and off screen once again. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, so that, that brings us straight over to clue, uh, who is uh, basically his uh, younger self. It's, it's, he's still in the image of his younger self because he created him when he got in there in 1989, apparently. And so he still has the young version. What did you think about, before we get into the character, how did you think about the effects? Did you think that they were good or not so good? They, well, this is the thing. It's 12 years ago. It was unfortunate that it was very plasticky and, you know, kind of like a, you know, a wax statue of sorts. I mean, it was very unnaturalistic in many ways um so i still think in modern times what disney's doing with all the marvel films and other stuff you know the visual effects for de-aging has like progressed so much in the last decade or so that i kind of say they should have only have shown the digital face within the world in the digital mm. world of the grid mm. instead of showing the digital face in the real world in the flashbacks because mm. that first moment where you know 
um, you know, we have Flynn telling a bedtime story to his son. And I'm like, oh, great. It's Jeff Bridges from the back. Perfect. Leave it like that. And then he turns around and it's this golem, you know, oh, my goodness. That automatically throws you out of the movie. But you have to forgive it because in 3D, when it first came out in 2010, the 3D effect actually made him look a little more human versus seeing the 4K, you know, streaming version that we have on Disney now. Uh, I definitely think that the 3D effect was more forgiving on the big screen versus seeing it on home video. It actually looks worse at home now. Mm. No, that's a really good point. If they had kept the suspension of disbelief and the uh, the uncanny valley within the virtual world, I mean, it would make so much. We would have given it, right? We would have been like, oh, of course, it, it makes total sense. Yeah. But because they tried to make it, the though, no, this is him in the real world as well. It kind of got lost. It's interesting. I guess they really needed a father-son moment in the real world and that's how they thought they could do it. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the technology is so much advanced today. I mean, Luke Skywalker and Mandalorian and all this stuff is like, wow, doing it's, it's really incredible. And this was, I guess, the beginning of that, right? They were just sort of uh, starting to, to play with this kind of stuff. Um, and it was a slightly different technique as well, because I think this time around inst- now it's like they'll use like, you know, different pinpoints on someone's face. They have different markers. This one looked more like they did a full 3D scan and just kind of sculpted him. So once again, like almost hand sculpted, which made it even look more artificial versus what we yeah. see now. Like the techniques now, I mean, there's guys on YouTube that do face swap technology, just using off the box, you know, off the shelf software. I mean, it's amazing how right. much it, how easier it is now. Uh, so the interesting thing about this character clue is that he was created in, uh, I guess, in Flynn's own image. But when he created him, he says later on, wasn't um, mature enough to be able to program him with all of the necessities to be someone who could uh, create and architect this utopia in there. And so Flynn blames himself that he didn't program Clue properly. And so when Clue became this sort of authoritarian dictator who uh, who was a megalomaniac and wanted to take over the world, Flynn was like, well, I'm the programmer. I'm essentially the god of this character. So it's on me uh, that that became you. So it kind of, um, you know, it puts, puts the uh, emphasis and the importance of Flynn's character uh, back in the forefront, which I thought was smart. I thought a good way to do it. In the end, they sort of merged together. So it's almost like a yin-yang. So Lin, who maybe had some megalomanic tendencies, but became the Buddhist monk, was the the yin. And then, of course, the way that he uh, absorbs the yang and the yin, and they become one in the this like super simulation explosion <laughs> and get rid of oh, all yeah. the armies. Kind of neat. I, I th- it was mostly the the old Neo. You know, at that moment, you know, we got to see you know as Clue gets absorbed back into the source of. You know, in many ways, he kind of realized that, yeah, these programs are locked in place. They can only work within their parameters. And suddenly when you see Flynn as an adult, you know, in his 50s, looking at his 20 something year old self, you kind of see, hey, there was no development and growth within Clue. He just did as he was programmed or as he interpreted the rules that were set forth for him. So to me, in many ways, yeah, it's maturity and growth versus being stagnant and obsessing about perfection when there's really no such thing. You can't really pinpoint what perfection is, so you'll never be satisfied. And I think that was Clue's main problem is that he could never accomplish his mission because perfection is impossible in many ways. And it's an eye of the beholder. One person's perfection is someone else's you know, aberration. And that's kind of why Clue freaked out. When he saw these beings, you know, simultaneously, you know, spontaneously appear into reality, you know, those ISOs, he realizes, hey, is this an aberration? Is this bad or is this good? I think of it many ways, like when you look at a pug, you know, you say a little pug dog, they look really, really cute. But when you compare it to a wolf, it's like, hey, the wolf, that was a natural <laughs> process, evolutionary process of perfection. The pug that was a lot of intervention to get a dog that looks cute, but snores all day, even when it's awake. I think in many ways, that's what clue kind of went through. We'll never look at clue the same <laughs> again. It's pug man. It's pug Jeff Bridges. Oh, horrible. Uh, that's really funny. Um, all right. Well, that brings us straight to Cora, who is, as it re- is revealed later on, is an ISO. She's the, actually the last surviving ISO. Uh, so she was a being that he says, came to life like a flame. It just spontaneously created with bio-digital jazz, man, and out popped this whole species <laughs> of digital beings that were, I guess, autonomous and were able to do anything they wanted to do. 
Uh, of course, Clue eradicated all of them. Uh, Cora escaped and was hiding out with Flynn all this time. And you know, she she you know she does a, she's an interesting character in the sense she's she's got these quirks and she's kind of a, a childlike innocence about her where she's still seeing things for the first time. I think it's like you know uh, Sam is really this old, the old, the only new user she's met in how many twenty years or her lifetime I guess right and uh, so she wants to learn about. Does it light out the outside world? What is the sunset like? All of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, you know, it's okay, I guess. She she wasn't um she wasn't this strong, independent woman who's going to like show uh, Sam uh, the ropes. She was kind of like, oh gosh, gee, like wouldn't I love to see a sunset like on your arm, uh, Sam? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, that's actually one of my problems with the character. Yeah, it's the classic trope, you know, the what is it? It's um, attractive, born yesterday or born sexy yesterday. Essentially, it's a fully grown woman who technically would be 20 years, whatever cycles would be within that universe. So she's been around for a minute. She's experienced genocide. She was homeless. She was bounced around between you know different programs who wanted to assist Mm. ISOs. And mm. I'm thinking she actually has a lot more experience than they present her. The character acts like she was born yesterday, but really mm. she wasn't born yesterday 20 years ago. If they presented her as a newly formed ISO, I would have been, okay, I can understand why she's so naive and kind of childlike. But more I think about it, it's like, hey, she's been eating these humongous pork roast dinners with, you know, Jeff Bridges for uh, over a decade, which still is bizarre. So why would she be such a child? Um, you know, it's an old trope. It's like Lilu Dallas syndrome. You know, I love Fifth Element, but Lilu Dallas, once again, mm. attractive and born yesterday. You know, it's, that, it's a weird trope Hollywood reuses. And I kind of wish she had a little more depth because, I mean, Olivia Wilde is an amazing actress. She's an amazing talent. And they didn't really tap into it. They kind of made her more of, you know, like a, a powerful plaything. You know, she could fight. She could do this. But hey, Bad guys will capture a heartbeat. It's like that inconsistency is a little awkward. I mean, yeah, no, it's a really good point. I guess I guess Disney didn't want to hammer too much about the fact that there is genocide in this movie, <laughs> and so she's actually yeah. a victim of genocide. They didn't want to really get into that, but that's such a good point. She could have been this moody kind of Evo, uh, you know, yeah. NPC in there. Yeah. Um, it should be said also, though, that I, I, I get it's sort of my pet peeve that like, OK, she's created as an NPC in this world in there. She's she's just sort of a an algorithm that's running. And then at the end, poof, she's organic matter. She's exactly how she looked there. She's on the outside world uh, and she hops onto a motorcycle like, hey, no problem. I got this. This is, this is normal. <laughs> and and it's like, well, I don't know. It's a little bit too fairy tale like at the end um i would have loved to have it a little more grounded in some kind of a science or uh you know math or something but i i, I don't know i didn't i didn't love that part of the movie i agree they took it one step too far for my taste it's like okay she's looking at the sun while she's on the back of the motorcycle enjoying this new experience of being flesh and blood whatever she is maybe she's silicon based they didn't really explain that they only showed like a few strands of dna at one point so we're assuming that she's somewhat organic but mm. she sniffs the guy's hoodie yeah, that was just a funny little awkward moment where i'm like okay i understand that you're out in the real world for the first time but when she had a breath of fresh air before sniffing the hoodie, I don't know why that was just that stood out as just hilariously <laughs> absurd. I don't know why it must have been a little character quirk they're trying to show that hey everything's new to her. But I mean right. the bond, like they try to present like a romantic bond between them that wasn't really necessary. You know, it seems like okay, like you met this guy and literally this whole movie takes place within maybe like twenty four hours within the real world. Right. So I just right. feel like yeah. The, the bond was a little artificial. It's like we don't always need a quote unquote love interest in every movie. Like, why not like mutual respect? Because this is me. <laughs> you know, well, you know, it, it might have been nice to have her uh, stay in the simulation and then have a sad goodbye at the end, even. And they had to part ways because he knew that he could never live in that world or something like that. But because, you know, you're talking about DNA, but suddenly now they're, they were a, arcade game company who created some software and now they're a bioengineering company it's like well it gets a little <laughs> outlandish you know to that point though also when the fact that clue is going to take his army out into the real world it would have been so cool i think if clue had been using 
uh, a connection with the outside world, which he knows he had because he's the one who used the pager at the beginning to get Sam in there. So what if he had been using his connection to the outside world to create a warehouse full of robot army, a robot army, and then he could fuse in NPC uh, personalities into those robots, make them come to life. And then I would be like, oh yeah, those are some legitimate stakes. That's totally believable that he used some of the funds from the company, siphoned them off in order to build these robots in this warehouse that was waiting for him to take over the earth. That would have been so cool. They, they kind of- Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. They kind of went the, the easy oh. route. They just wanted to do the cool whiz-bang special effects inside the Tron world, and they didn't want to get into all those details. But I keep going back to if someone like James Cameron was involved in this, he would have gone through all those details. He wouldn't be settling for all of these, oh, well, just like sci-fi rigmarole, let's keep going. He would have really uh, allowed us to understand how this world works a little bit. Oh, no doubt. James Cameron would have calculated what a cycle equals within the machine. You know, he would have said, okay, one day equals this many thousand cycles. He would have gone to that next level when it comes to just building the world and setting the rules. Um, So that was my main problem is there weren't that many rules. You know, it was all over the place. So we've talked about the tech a lot. Um, Is there any other element of the technology of this movie that you liked or didn't like? I, I feel like I've been hammering on a lot of the the inconsistencies with the technology and the uh, unbelievable factors of a lot of the technology. Is there anything else for you that um, struck you? Well, the concept of quantum teleportation is always a fun one. You know, when you think of Star Trek and other f- forms of fiction. So we have this device from a video game company that can, you know, absorb and rewrite your atoms and information into a digital world and back. And once again, they didn't explore it that much. I mean, it's like one of the most revolutionary pieces of technology. I mean, yeah. during the whole biomechanical jazz speech, you understand like, hey, they could change medicine because you could grab someone, port them inside the grid, re-edit their actual DNA on, you know, on wow. a, a yeah. higher level and send them back out. Like all those concepts, they just kind of hinted at, but they never fulfilled the promise. That's one thing I always think of when I watch good sci-fi. You have to fulfill the promise. If you bring up a cool concept, you have to give us a little bit more. Give us a taste of its applications and give us a hope for the future in which we kind of hope that, hey, this will come real someday for us. They kind of drop the ball on it. They only give us a taste when I really wanted a big meal. Yeah. You know, it's true that it's maybe because it was in 2010. And if you think about it, I think 2010 predated the Oculus, right? So weren't really having the deeper understanding of what virtual reality is that we do now, or even what Ready Player One was able to achieve. Um, And so they didn't kind of have a lot of those ideas where you could shrink something or you could expand something really big, or you could just blink out. Like it bothered me that those, those ladies, those blonde ladies at the beginning had their little home that they had to go through, but it's like, they're virtual beings. They could just like blink out, you know, and and then, refabricate somewhere else or something like that. Like there's no reason they needed to hide themselves in some kind of metal coffin on the wall. Like they weren't robots having a body, (laughs) right? That was funny. Having a day job when you're living in a digital world. That's hilarious to me. It's like, Hey, we have off time. Let's go to the digital bar. Let's do It's kind of absurd to think about it. Like translating real world daily life into this digital world. it, It doesn't follow the same rules. And especially if it's a quote unquote perfect system, why would you know Clue create a system where people are doing nine to five jobs if it's so perfect? I mean, that's absurd. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of the Zeus character and those blonde ladies, like, couldn't Flynn have told Sam, you know what? Actually, I designed those NPCs to be double crossers. So don't trust them. <laughs> no. It's in their program. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. They're inflexible, they're programmed. Right. I did like that the Zeus character kind of was like Ziggy Stardust meets like <laughs> yes. uh, you know a Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of stuff. Like I did, I did like the uh, Michael Sheen character. I thought he was a really fun character. But it, I just kept coming back to like, wow, they programmed a guy to be like this, and that they do like what? I don't know. It's just oh well. Yeah. Technically, he was also he was the second class ISO. That's oh. the reason why he had more personality. Um, because remember he had that kind of agreement of sorts you know he's like hey i'll rule the underworld and then clue you do all the big stuff so that was the thing it's kind of like hey instead of killing him off like the rest of them clue just said hey it's easier to control the system having you know someone running like the underground that's what it kind of seemed like 
Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I guess it's, that makes sense. I also wonder why Clue, after all of these years, if he's, you know, couldn't figure out how to track, uh, you know, Flynn hiding in his little den. Like, I guess, unless Flynn created some super defragging kind of like a uh, shield that was protecting him, it feels like, you know, Clue could have figured that out. That's a very good point, because remember the light cycle that Sam borrowed from his father when he got to the city and he gave it to some, you know, a homeless program, which was very bizarre. Um, you know, he gave the vehicle away and then the bad guys were able to figure out the point of origin of it. I'm thinking so for 20 years, you never got any piece of technology from Flynn that would have directed you that easily. It was almost too easy. It's like, hey, look, like, I don't know how a light cycle would tell you the exact starting point but i guess since it's all programming it would have just been recorded and it still seemed like yeah they left that in the open it seems like hmm, maybe we could address that earlier yeah 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 exactly um all right well we're, we're back down to the point here which is uh what was the message this movie was trying to convey to the audience you kind of brought up an interesting uh point earlier did you want to um elaborate on that yeah, it's just about the the obsessive pursuit of perfection that a lot of us have in day-to-day life. Um, in many cases, perfectionism creates more problems than it's worth. And it happens in real life every day. Either you're, you know, it leads to procrastination. It leads to sloppier work because you end up undoing the good work because you think, hey, nothing is better than the last thing. So I think a lot of times perfection destroys so many things. There's no such thing as a perfect system, but if you allow the complexities of chaos and natural selection to just do its work, a lot of times you get a better result. Um, so for me, it, it looked very much as a story of one character who had ideals when he was in his 30s, late 20s, and he realizes 20 years later that, hey, you know what? I'm not that same person anymore. But unfortunately, because of perfectionism, you become inflexible and you kind of see the forest for the trees kind of thing. I think that's what the main story is. It's just continuing the wrong path, never progressing. If you have perfectionism, once again, you're not going to change. And I think that was a problem with Clue. Clue was set in stone and he kept repeating the same mistakes over and over again until the system itself kind of collapsed on itself. I mean, in many ways, Jeff Bridges' character really didn't have to do that much. It would have collapsed on its own at the rate Clue was going. Oh, that's a really good point. I think that the other theme that I sort of noticed was the one that Sam was grappling with, which was really responsibility, right? He starts off being this sort of anarchist. He's kind of this spoiled kid who's like, ah, screw my father's legacy. I'm just going to give this out to open source it. I don't care about the boardroom. I don't care about my uh, father's business. Uh, I'm just going to be um, a sort of fly-by-night kid. And then throughout this journey, he understands the, the struggles that his father went through and the trouble that he did and how incredible this virtual world is. By the end, he's developed responsibility. And he says to uh, the co-worker who was with him at the beginning that he can be the chairman now and he's ready to help out, I guess, with the company or something like that. So the idea that he's sort of grown up a little bit uh, and he's become a little bit more responsible and respectful of his father. Um, so that sort of seemed to be the arc. So the way that you could sort of tie that into the virtual world is that we have so much power at our fingertips to create entire universes, and we have to be responsible uh, with those and not just treat them sort of willy-nilly. And, uh, you know, we have to use this power responsibly, kind of the Spider-Man thing, you know, uh, with great power comes great responsibility, something like that. But but I think we're we're giving the movie too much credit to get too oh, deeply agree. into the message because the message was like cool shots, awesome, uh, you know, <laughs> awesome machines and virtual games and like really dope, you know, clubs in the metaverse, <laughs> basically. Um, all right, well, pretty much. <laughs> I think you know what time it is. Wow! 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 wow score time i don't need to say it but i will one more time zero wells is like what the hell did i just watch ted wells is the greatest movie ever we want everyone to vote kurt it looks like it's up to you um we will start with you futurosity what do you give it out of 10 well i'll tell you the truth oh it's seven i've rewatched this movie multiple times without realizing it it was just easily accessible over the last couple of years and it's 
always a fun ride. It doesn't answer every question that I have, but visually and music wise, it's a nice little package. And sometimes I realize I've watched the movie just playing in the background while doing something else. I mean, it's a fun new movie that just reminds you, hey, you're having fun. It's a nostalgia fest. It's definitely what is designed for a certain generation. I think that's why ultimately they didn't make another sequel because a lot of folks yeah. I don't think everyone really dug the movie. They just kind of felt like, OK, it was a nice little ride and it's a fun ride. That's the only way to describe it. I mean, I don't think it's that deep. They really didn't attempt to go deep, but just for entertainment and enjoying just exploring that world and just seeing it. I think a seven is fair. It's not perfect, but it's still fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is very fair. Uh, Kurt, if you have a, your wow score, uh, let us know. Um, I think for me, you know, I've just I've just spent the last uh, 45 minutes or so hammering into all the things <laughs> I didn't like about the movie. I will take this opportunity to say what I did appreciate. That is that, it, you know, it really is an incredibly gorgeous movie. I mean, every shot, every uh, building, every design is just like jaw-droppingly awesome. and. Um, it's such a cool vision of this, I don't know, this metaverse, right? This sort of virtual metaverse. And so I just like, I just, I, I feel like I could put it on mute and I could just watch the imagery and that would do it for me. Well, I, believe it or not, I'm giving it a seven and a half. We're going seven and a half Ooh. with this baby. Um, because it's just so beautiful to look at. And it's just it, the, the, the games and the world, as far as the architecture and the style goes, were so well thought through. I thought that the, the disc game was just really neat, how, um, how you could bounce it off the walls and then the one guy could split it open. I guess it's Tron, actually, we discover. It turned bad. You could split open the rings and he could, you know, they could almost do bullet time and fly through the air. But then the way that the, um, when they get on the uh, uh, bikes, they just have a bar and then they jump onto the bar and it becomes the bike and it leaves those streams behind you. And then the fact that you could do the, the air bikes later on and become like Ooh. flying through these streams of the air with these sort of streams. And then um, there were those cool mosquito uh, things that were flying through the simulation as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. I just was like, wow, that's really cool. Wow, that is so gorgeous. Um, and so, you know, I just loved it for that. Um, I just, uh, it was the story that got to me. Um, Kurt, what did you think? Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Okay, great, great, great. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with, uh, I agree with Futurasi with the, uh, being a seven. Um, Storyline was all over the place a little bit, and it just it, the discontinuity on things just driving me nuts. And um, so it didn't take me back to the other movie very much. And then, why is it called Tron? <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, we it's should bring that up. up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll give you one reason why it needed to be called Tron, uh, Kurt. Money. Franchise, toys, <laughs> <laughs> legacy, bringing in the the, par the dads who want to go watch it with their sons, and they're gonna because it's gonna be a nostalgic trip. That's it. That's the only reason. Otherwise, they could have made a better movie, not connecting it to Tron. Uh, except the bikes. The bikes are damn cool. The bikes that the, zip oh, along. Beautiful. The character, the character named Tron. That was the whole deal, right? Yeah, that was the weirdest part. It was Bruce Boxleiter, right? So that was, it was he was ignored he was almost. Yeah. yeah, it was like, it was yep. ridiculous. So. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Lightyear of Rivia, or, uh, Lightyear of Rivia, if you have, uh, you, if you've seen Tron Legacy and you want to give it a score out of 10, now's your chance. Um, otherwise, uh, we're sort of in agreement. We're in the seven to seven and a half range. Um, so not horrible. Um, um, it, it had some redeeming qualities to it. But by no means did it connect. And I think that I agree with Kurt. That's why it didn't become uh, a series. I think it just didn't connect with an audience. Um, oh, it looks like we may have uh, Lightyear uh, give his thoughts. Yes, Lightyear. Oh, hello, everybody. Um, I, I only saw the original movie. Are you talking about something that's newer than the original? Uh, this is Tron Legacy, which came out in 2010, which was the sequel. 
Oh, okay. Because I saw the original one way back in the, what was that, the 80s when 82. it came out? 82? Yeah. 82, yeah. It was groundbreaking right. at the time for for audio and visual and uh, what they did with it at the time. I, I, I wish I'd seen the new one. I'm sorry I haven't. <laughs> No problem. Um, I totally agree. We did. We covered Tron uh, um, uh, maybe a year ago or more now, and I agree. The visuals in that one were as stunning for that time as these visuals are for this time. If you haven't seen this movie, we we don't love it, but the visuals are just as incredible, uh, but more updated. Um, so it's worth checking out. Worth checking out. Um, all right. So um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, Curiosity, how can uh, people get in touch with you if they want to debate your opinion of Tron Legacy uh, in the interwebs? <laughs> oh, please reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at Futurosity VR. Please. I love to chat. Love to start fun conversations. Cool. And, and so thank you. Uh, thank you, Kurt and, and Lightyear and uh, here for you else. And thank you so much, Futurosity. We know that you're in Florida and you didn't even bring your headset. Uh, Florida, but you were, <laughs> you're so committed to Futurosity's flicks and picks and simulation nation that you went and bought a headset just for this event, and maybe you'll return it. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> but um, we really do appreciate uh, you being here, Futurosity. We couldn't have done it without you, of course, because it is called Futurosity's flicks and picks. Thank you for that, and thank you, everybody, for teleporting in to this worldcast of simulation nation. Whether you are with us in virtual reality, listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or watching in glorious Technicolor on YouTube. And remember, please subscribe to our Instagram at Simulation Nation, Twitter at Simulation VR, and our Discord server. And join us next week for our comparison uh, with the Truman Show movie and the Philip K. Dick novel, I'm at a joint that it may be based on. And we will have with us a guest uh, from the Philip K. Dick podcast called Dickheads. Until then, a plug, my friends. <laughs>